From Dr. Stephen Greer to To The Stars Academy, disclosure has been trickling out amongst the masses. People are willing to talk about aliens and UFOs or UAPs as they've been recategorized. So today we bring on an expert to talk about the disclosure that's going to be happening very soon. We have John Warner IV joining us with Chris Michaels and myself as we do our Friday recap, but with this special interview. You're not going to want to miss it, so sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee, or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Bolden with Greg Bolden and Chris Michaels, here on the America Out Loud Network. America. You don't know what they do. You don't know what they sacrifice. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, Bold Americans, to another episode of America Emboldened. I'm your host, Greg Bolden, here on the America Out Loud Network, and it's Friday. So what does that mean? It means the irreverent fuzzball himself, Chris Michaels, is here to join me. <laughs> As always, we're going to have a good time, but we're bringing on a absolutely gem of a special guest for everybody today. Uh, you're going to be excited. You're going to gasp. You're going to love it. It is the author and historian who has a real passion for whether or not the history books were written the proper way. Maybe they've been revised uh, to be uh, maybe serve somebody else's interest. We're going to get into the historical records with them a little bit. He also has a background in ufology, talk about UFOs, and his family is very interesting as well. He was a uh, his father was a five-term U.S. Senator, John Warner III, which makes our guest today John Warner IV. Now, why that's important, his father and family background, well, he's rubbed elbows with some of the Hollywood elites throughout his lifetime. He was surrounded by military veterans, uh, people that were in very interesting places, which gives him a lot of knowledge and insight into the world. So I'm really excited. John Warner IV, welcome to America Emboldened. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, first and foremost, let's get straight started. Uh, let's introduce you to people who do not know you. Obviously, Chris and I do, but my listening audience, they may have first time they've ever heard your name. If that's the case, sum up your passion and your work a bit as far as what you've been involved in, the books that you've written, and uh, what makes John Warner tick. Well, that's a damn good question. Um, I grew up in Washington, D.C. I was born and raised here. Um, my father uh, and uncle were Marines in Korea. Uh, my dad became, uh, was a good friend of Nixon. He became Undersecretary of the Navy in 1968 um, when Nixon came to power. Um, and uh, he was a family friend, President Nixon. And um, my father became Secretary of the Navy in 1972 to 74. Uh, then he was Chairman of the Bicentennial then he became a uh, senator for the state of Virginia in 1978. Um, and he was uh, chairman of the Armed Services Committee and he sat on the select Intel community. And um, as Dr. Stephen Greer, uh, a very good ufologist, uh, I'm not a ufologist, I'm just a writer and historian. Um, 
uh, had said that my father was a magic member, which is majority for joint intelligence committee. And that is a top secret liaison uh, between uh, what used to be called the MJ-12 group, which is an oversight group for the uh, exotic UFO technologies in the military and Congress. Uh, they changed the names uh, over the years, but my father was a magic member. And I've always had an interest in, in UFOs. Uh, I was a Star Trek fan and, and things like that growing up. My mother, Catherine Mellon, was a hippie. Uh, her father, Paul Mellon, my grandfather, he was OSS in World War II, and he was a mystic along with his wife, Mary Mellon, and they were devotees of Carl Jung, uh, and my grandfather knew General Patton, General Marshall, and Wild Bill Donovan, uh, who ran the OSS, and that's the Office of Strategic Services. Uh, it was part of the U.S. Army in uh, World War II, and then it became the CIA later on in '47 after the National Security Act was passed. So um, in regards to UFO, uh, ET, uh, UAP disclosure arena, um, I'm also third cousins, um, and I used to be good friends with Chris Mellon, who was the former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence under Clinton and Bush. And he and my father worked together in that classified world um, where certain black programs and unacknowledged special access programs were given the green light by Congress and certain small committees that had oversight and clearances for such. Um, and so my father, I literally traveled the world with my father. I carried his briefcase everywhere. We went to Russia. We went to naval bases far and wide. Uh, it's, I've, I've sort of been in the room, um, admirals, generals, uh, the lot of them. And so I would always ask questions about the, the UFO topic. And um, in the 90s, in my father's office, uh, admirals would gather, and I would always ask them about it. And they were very hopeful that some of the technologies could have been let out by 2000 and, you know, with the election. But we've got 9-11 instead. And that put the kibosh on a lot of different things. Um, I myself think it was a potent warning to Congress and uh the military and uh, people in corporations and el elsewhere uh, to not disclose uh, certain sensitive technologies that have to do with UFOs and back air engineering uh, of those UFOs. Um, and so it accomplished many things, but that was one of its key uh, elements. Um, that I didn't come up with that. That Stephen Greer and others uh, really thought that, but when it happened, um, I asked my dad about the Pentagon hit. I said, come on, there's cameras all over DC. That hole is not uh, from a jet aircraft. I'm a pilot. I know I, I studied crash retrievals. You know, there's no engines. There was no suitcases. There was no luggage, no bodies, no nothing. And my father said, that's the one topic he would not wow. talk to me about. So that, that 20, 2000, you know, 2001, I, I really, there were a lot of things leading up to that, but that sort of started me on the road with everyone else that uh, something's majorly wrong with uh, our legal, our government and our, and our military system. And um, it's the secrecy has become toxic for the nation. And my father agreed with me on that. 
I mean, not only has it become toxic for the nation, but now we know with the Twitter files that there are uh, actors in the alphabet agencies that are really taking away people's First Amendment rights without their knowledge. And so the narrative that gets painted by the government and the alphabet agencies or whatever world governments are controlling all of this, you see that with the COVID uh, topic as well. It seems to me that the majority of humans, you, you have a choice to live one of two ways. You either are living the life of blissful ignorance. You go, you get your McDonald's, you watch your movies, watch your Netflix and chill, or you start waking up a little bit and realizing the world around you is not exactly as it seems. I know for me, uh, one of my big moments too was September 11th. I had just gotten out of college and watching that day, things didn't feel right. They didn't add up. And to this day, when you brought up the Pentagon just now, you probably saw me smile. That is likely the most filmed building with surveillance video. And what did we get? We got a across the parking lot video that's pixelated that showed nothing of a plane, just a quick moving object followed by an explosion. That is the only video that's ever been shown to the public. But if you're the question that, there's people that will label you anti-American. There's platforms that will pull you off of the platform, YouTube, you know, you've given misinformation. And so you've spent a lot of time looking now into the history books, figuring out, hey, what was written in history that's not exactly accurate? I'm going to give you an example that I find very interesting. A lot of people think that George Washington was the very first president of the United States of America, but he wasn't. In fact, there were multiple presidents before George Washington was ever president. Samuel Huntington was the first president of this country. George Washington was the first president underneath the Constitution. Why is it when you look at history and the way it's revisioned that people like Samuel Huntington get completely forgotten and people like George Washington put up on a pedestal when it was Samuel Huntington that was really putting his neck on the line against the king to begin with and about 11 other gentlemen that followed him before George Washington? Uh, what are you seeing when you research this, why do people revise history so much for a popular narrative? Well, well um, I started my love of military history and history at an early age. And at school, I went to a religious school up here in Washington, D.C., and I smelled a rat with the whole religion as a control system. And then I started asking questions. Uh, things like that, you know, about Vietnam and why can't we cover Vietnam? And, and I was told, shut up and that, you know, God was going to punish me, you know, a sinner and all this crap. And so at an early age, I bucked the system. And I started not doing my homework, but started reading books in the library um, on everything, World War II history, uh, the Peloponnesian Wars, and all this thing. And it was amazing to me how much history had war in it. And, you know, there were some papal armies and, you know, the the Medici's and the Renaissance and things like that. But they, they started rewriting history. Uh, I would say the Vatican and its many, uh, mer you know, uh, missionaries, probably around the year 1000. Um, all the ancient history, Pliny and, you know, all the, you know, the Greek philosophy and everything, that had to pass through his holiness, uh, the Pope. And that had to pass through his desk before, and his monks did a lot of work with scissors. And they started cutting out things that didn't please his holiness. Now, I know a lot of people won't like that, but it's the truth. Um, 
you could see it in uh, a 19th century history book in American history for college and high school students. Yeah, it's about six inches thick. Uh, today's modern one is half that size. So you can see how the continuous dumbing down of Americans, uh, the rest of the world, you know, it varies from place to place. Um, Asia, they don't destroy their history too much. But if you look at, you know, Vietnam and uh, the Khmer Empire and uh, Malaysia, well, they buried there years ago. So it's bunk. And, you know, they've sold us, this, they keep dumbing it down because now attention spans are 15 minutes long. And kids don't want to study, and you know they're teaching us bullshit anyway. Our math and physics are truncated too; it's obvious. And so history uh, it becomes this journey that you take. And when I read uh, various history books, the ones I finish anyway, um, you have to learn to read between the lines, and then read between those lines, and you start asking yourself, what did they cut out? And it turns out that our history is just Swiss cheese. It's unbelievable. And um, the real details are lost. They give people very truncated and very simplistic history. Uh, and, and, you know, they, it's all by design. It, it, it's obvious after a while. And um, America has it the worst. I mean, we have the worst. We used to have the best. Now we have the worst public education system. And if you go to an Ivy League college, that's just a fancier slice of bullshit and lie pie. Um, you know, I went to the University of Virginia, but, you know, I have friends from Yale and Harvard, and they're just oblivious to anything uh, outside the norm. Um, you can't uh, you can't teach intellect. You can't teach imagination. You can't teach drive and passion. Uh, you can't teach any of those things. You, you, colleges and schools, they teach people how uh, what to learn, what to think, not how to think. And it's, it's frightening when you do the big picture work at just how stupid they've left, you know, all the stuff that kids learn in schools and colleges now. It's unbelievable. It's nonsense. So that's the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I, I can't wait to hear the long answer. <laughs> oh, let's go. I'm good Ooh. with that. Hey, we got long form here. That's a great part about the podcast. Yeah, um, I still write. I mean, where, do you, where do you begin? I mean, no, I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah, no. I mean, the Roman Catholic Church is a great place to begin. I'm glad that you brought up religion because, you know, you have the book of Q that other people are like, well, why was that left out of the original yeah. gospel? Right. So the book absolutely. of Enoch as right. well as the, yes. the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh, no. That, uh, some scholars, including Joseph P. Farrell, think, and I agree with it, uh, that probably around 50% of the original, what was in the original Holy Bible was just not cut out or not in there. Um, if you go back to some of the early Bibles in Latin, they have a lot more you know, depth to them and everything. And there's a lot more wisdom and history in it. And of course, they keep revising it, the King James edition, and then the new edition, and then the pocket edition, which is nothing. And then the Kindle edition, which is even the word. You know, and this goes for the Quran and, and uh, you know, the Old Testament and Judaism, and it's unbelievable what they've left out. Um, but mystic scholars in all of these Western-style religions, Middle East and Western, not the Asian stuff, uh, they found a lot of these missing pieces. And a lot of it can be found in the scrolls, uh, the cylinder seals in the Baghdad Museum going, there was a lot of stuff left out. Uh, I think Anunnaki, the Anunnaki were mentioned in the, in the Old Testament dozens of times, and then the New Testament, it's once. I believe that's correct. 
So you, that tells you right off as a historian, you're like, okay, that's obvious. They don't want us to know that, that the King Anunnaki kings lived for thousands of years and were 15 feet tall. And that's the way they were described on the, on the cylinder seals and the clay tablets. Gee whiz. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's, that's unbelievable. It is. It absolutely is unbelievable, which we're, we're uh, we've been robbed of our own history, who we are, where we came from, everything. And, and I think we're robbed. still being robbed. Right. Look at look at what they're doing with with all of this disclosure and this all of this. Hey, you better pay attention to us. All of the people that come out that are supposed to be these whistleblowers. I would not be surprised if they're all still working in some form or another for one of these various agencies, right? Lou Elizondo, that guy. And what you brought up before that everyone is hooked on the 15 minute soundbite or the 15 minute read. What do you think about Greer's disclosure event? Now, I'm not sure if you went to that one, but Greer's disclosure event. I did. How do you think that'll play off? And are they going to try to hijack that? with somebody like a Lou Elizondo or a Grush or something like that. John, you were at the Greer event. Did you just say that? Yes. Excellent. Okay. Uh, it was my first event, anything UFO related or otherwise. I, I've just never been. Uh, Stephen Greer is a friend of mine. I, I support his work. I think he's done humanity a huge, solid favor. Huge. Uh, he's pushed he, his 35 years of hard work with all the people around him. Um. And everyone else, you know, a lot of other people in the disclosure arena with channels like Dark Journalists and Richard Dolan and Linda Moutenhal, all those folks, Kerry Cassidy too, you know, they've all added pressure to the U.S. government, the military and the corporations. Uh, I like to call it the military industrial corporate intelligence complex. Now, they've definitely added pressure for this disclosure, and I'll put that in quotes. Um Stephen Greer's uh, shows um, and press conferences uh, are good, um, but the mainstream media did not cover any of it, any of it, and nor did they cover the Chris Mellon, the UAP task force, and, and uh, the Grush uh, disclosure. Only News Nation did. Now, News Nation is news to me. I, before the Grush came out, I'd never even heard of it. It came out of Chicago. It's it's changed hands a few times, uh, but it's a relatively new, a newcomer. And so unlike 2017, when my cousin was out in the New York Times, Washington Post, and CNN all the time, this time around, that whole operation was not covered by the mainstream press. So that suggests that uh, the old domain on Anomaly Resolution Office in the Pentagon, they got, you know, the old political runaround, you create more and more committees like the Soviets did. And then the original, uh, you know, people's questions, they get lost in the shuffle. It's passed. The issues are passed from committee to committee to committee. And it's just like a shell game with 100 shells and one ball. And so it's the old runaround. Um, you know, it never went anywhere. And so uh, that suggests that either the Pentagon is being used by the CIA and the DIA as controlled opposition, the arrow, and because they didn't sign off on the Grush, whole Grush uh, interview, um, or they're all in cahoots with one another, including Congressman Burchett, who seems in my eyes, 
I was hopeful at first when he first came out and said, oh, we got to get to the bottom of this. Something's not right with all these UAPs flying around. And now he's going to interview Grush soon in a con another congressional hearing. They keep having hearings and hearings. This, this has been going on for 70 years, but people don't remember it. But I tend to think Burchett now is part of the whole operation, too. He's controlled opposition. So that's how this works. You know, this this UFO issue goes back to World War II and, and really before. But I, I, it goes I, back to World War II. John, I, I want to hear about how it goes back to World War II in just a second. But I, I want to differentiate between two different things and who's giving kind of like the controlled ops language. So there's a famous musician, Tom DeLonge. And I heard you mention Mellon earlier with To The Stars. Yeah. And so you and Mellon, you guys were close at, at one point in time. Chris, I think it's Chris Mellon, correct? Well, we were we were friends. We weren't close. OK, but we've known each other since 1973. So you guys have known each other for a long time. If, if I'm if I'm misrepresenting facts, please correct me because I'm not an expert on here. But from what I understand, Christopher Mellon is one of the lead people who is advising Tom DeLone and To The Stars which has a lot of people that have been taking credit for these videos that we're seeing from the Navy. And then you have on the other side, people like uh, Greer, who are giving these presentations that I just heard you speak pretty highly of, who's blowing smoke up our ass and who's telling us the truth? Okay, in, in my humble opinion, um, Greer, you're gonna get a lot more truth from Greer and anyone else in the disclosure movement rather than, than people who are either former government and spook, you know, Intel employees like my cousin, Chris. Uh, Tom DeLonge, I think his heart's in the right place, uh, but he knocked on some doors or they, they groomed him. Uh, maybe not all of his fault, but he thought, oh, well, I'm interested in UFOs and I want disclosure. So I'm gonna knock on the door of, the, you know, Chris Mellon and Jim Semivan and all these CIA people. Um, uh, come on. These are people, uh, the CIA, the DIA, and the National Reconnaissance Office, and all these departments of the Pentagon, the IC. Uh, they've been keeping this secret for 80 years. Why now are they so altruistic? Now, you're going to have to, you know, people are hardwired to obey authority. It just, it's the way it is. And I don't blame people for wanting to go to the experts and, and the officials, but these people are the ones who have kept a secret. I mean, you're not going to go to the Nazis uh, to hire a judge for the Nuremberg trials. Sorry, that's I'm going to use a hard analogy for that. Uh, these people are all working together to skew the narrative because they know people are waking up. There is something called the Great Awakening. It's been happening since the 1960s. And thank the hippies for that. Civil rights and women's rights. And, uh, you know, gay rights and all that, the, the, the world has been waking up. But this issue is the biggest issue in human history, and it encompasses all of our history. But Chris Millen and the UAP task force and uh, Gil Senator Gillibrand and Senator Rubio, they want you to think this is a brand new topic. It is nothing of the sort. Uh, you can do your historical research. I mean, there's UFOs and Renaissance paintings. There's been descriptions for thousands of years. Uh, the Romans, the Roman army saw strange battles in the sky. I mean, this is ridiculous. So I don't, I don't trust them worth a damn. Uh, I, I do like the fact that they're at least bringing that to a dead topic alive. I give them credit for that. I give Chris credit for that. Um, 
But boy, they're trying to get ahead of it and they're trying to control the narrative 110% because they don't want people to go to Greer or anyone else in the disclosure movement for information because they're dangerous dissidents in their eyes. And so, um, you know, when you hear about all these hearings and all these stuff, we want the truth. That's the government interviewing the government. Right. It's true. <laughs> nothing new. It, it, you know, my father taught me all this stuff. He said senators and congressmen and presidents, they're bought and paid for before they even become elected, which is why he had the Navy and Marines behind him as a solid base. And he knew, you know. Was it Ronald Reagan? Trust me, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. The scariest words yeah. any American can hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 sad, uh, but I, I understand the ignorance of, uh, of most people. Um, they don't care. They got a million, you know, the, the population of America, forget the world, but the population of America, they're overworked, they're underpaid, they're tired, mm-hmm. they're distracted. You know, they care about the beer and the football and the soccer and everything like that. And there's plenty of movies and games and, and TikTok nonsense to distract you from. But this issue won't go away now because um, I just did another interview with dark journalists on YouTube, and I recommend that for everyone. Uh, he does a great job. I've learned a lot from him over the years. And Robert Kennedy went on his show, so he's, he's not a lightweight. Uh, and, you know, I said, you know, if the U.S. government operation, the UAP task force, all these characters, my cousin, if they don't get ahead of this thing, China, Russia, India, France, Japan, they will disclose for us. And America will be playing catch up in perpetuity. Now, that's a that's a huge problem because, yes, we own a lot of the dirty laundry that, that goes along with this topic uh, inside uh, the corporate and, you know, unacknowledged uh, black program world. We have a lot of dirty laundry, uh, you know. But if we don't start owning up to it now, other countries will point the finger at America and we'll get, you know, the lion's share of uh destruction over this. Um, um, there's no, there's no, now with the disclo- disclosure has been moving along for 30 years. Um, I just talked to an interesting man, John L. Peterson, and he was an insider, Pentagon insider 30 years ago. And uh, he's the real deal. And uh, he said he was in a meeting with, you know, big people, four stars on the sol- on the shoulder, senators, and this is back in the early 90s. And they said, all right, what is disclosure going to look like? And they came up with 40 different avenues for disclosure. <laughs> Only three of them didn't involve a worldwide French Revolution and a financial collapse and possibly collapse of religions. And I said to John, I said, I bet if, if you and I, John, were in that room today with similar people, those three options are now gone. Everyone's efforts in the government and the UAP task force and all this stuff. This is a case of way too little, way too late. So let me ask you this, John, going back to Greer's interview, uh, Greer's presentation and going along with what you said, where other countries, if they're going to disclose first, that would put the United States in hot water, right? Oh yeah. Do you think these other countries that are going to disclose could potentially bring up what Greer just basically very lightly touched when it came to the topic of human trafficking. I don't know if you heard that one. Oh, no, I was there. Yeah. So uh, there was, was a, a, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, that was a big step up for Greer. Um, 
What did he say for people that haven't heard it? Um, there was uh, an army um, veteran who saw in Indonesia, um, they were soldiers, they were Marines, and they were wandering through the jungle. They got lost from their unit or whatever. I don't know what operation they were on, but it was classified too. And he said they ran into some private security, you know, ex-special forces guys. And the ex-special forces guys behind them was, a, you know, uh, a UFO uh, floating above the ground silently and it was huge probably 200 feet in diameter and it was it was loading on pallets of drugs but also they had pallets of body bags which they knew were used for human trafficking purposes um, these are special body bags these aren't just the plastic ones these are ones that you can still breathe and it was a sobering story but i've Talked to a lot of people over the years and decades, and the dirty laundry is sobering. And human trafficking is the biggest money maker in the world. Drugs are number two, and illegal weapon sales are number three. After that, you've got bank fraud and financial fraud, and then down the line. So it's sad, it's disturbing, but I think we have to come to terms with it as a nation. Um, a right. lot of bad so, people were in control of my grandfather's generation, of my father's generation. There were a lot of janky people who had great power, but they're dying off and they're getting very old. And the gray hats are taking over from these black hats. So that leads me to this question. This UFO that's hovering there in Indonesia. And I listened to that press conference as it was happening and my jaw about dropped when I thought about the ramifications of our government doing human trafficking with ufos because the implication behind that would be that we have either a reverse engineered at this point in time the technology that was found which we'll get into in the next segment uh after world war ii around that time period or that a lot of the sightings that we're seeing right now are skunk works lockheed martin it's advanced technology that the public has been completely unaware that has been developed uh, and it may not be alien in nature. Which side are you coming down on? Is it alien in nature reverse engineered or is this more technology that is the dark budget that no one knew about and people are now disclosing that? Which part of the disclosure? Are we aliens or are we human in innovation? Wait, can I add one Whoa. more thing? Absolutely. Chris. Ancient, ancient technology. Perfect. Yes. Um, All of it. It, it, <laughs> it. Yeah, this is extremely complex. Um, but basically, I, I'm pretty sure, as I write in my books, uh, the Germans, uh, through their visits to Tibet and India, they got a hold of a lot of ancient texts, the Vedic texts, the Kangshur, uh, others that they had translated at the Berlin Reich Institute. And they had Tibetan monks that would translate these texts. And believe it or not, they gleaned a lot of ancient technology of Vimanas and other things, free energy, zero point uh, uh, plasma uh, accelerator generators. Um, I think that's all true. Um, we got a, lion, a lion's share of that technology and data in Project Paperclip, which my grandfather, Paul Mellon, was involved with, with his friend, Alan Dulles in the OSS. And he told me that. And, you know, it, the general consensus today, I mean, I have ONI friends and CIA friends and 
retired military, uh, we all kind of agree it's about 50-50. So it's ET and human made in the sky now, about a 50-50 ratio, uh, maybe 60% ET. We're, but, but generally speaking, it, it's something like that. And so when they disclose the Tic Tacs and other things and say, oh, it's just ours, they're telling the truth. The problem is people, there's millions of UFO reports going back to the 1920s and even earlier. Um, they can't be ours. You know, it's ridiculous. I mean, Mother Earth, we've been Grand Central Station for millions, if not billions of years. Hell with Atlantis. There were Lemuria, the Khmer Empire, Kamari, uh, uh, um, you know, the Indus years. And ET's been coming to the Earth for millions and billions of years. It's, it's not a big deal once you do the heavy lifting and work and see that we're part of a vivacious galactic community. It's just been hidden from us. Well, not very well, by the way. I mean, all this, these secrets have been leaking out for 80, 100 years. And theosophists like Manly P. Hall and others, they've been talking about them, Rudolf Steiner. You know, you know it's ridiculous. Carl Jung, you know, and but but very few people want to listen. And we've been brainwashed with everything else. Uh, it's not that big a deal. It's, it's really like Star Wars and Star Trek, if you think about it. That's not too far from the real truth. So... You know, when people say, oh, they're going to be confused, they're going to think they're all man-made, that's a dangerous assumption. And I'll have to say that even though I'm a friend and admirer of Stephen Greer, his message, his message that all ETs are benevolent, that is incorrect. Uh, we live in a duality universe. We are duality creatures ourselves, the human race. It stands to reason that our galaxy and universe are a duality one. Everyone struggles with it. There's always going to be that 10% that are really, really bad. Uh, you wouldn't appreciate the light if we didn't have the darkness. That's what the yin and yang symbol means. You know, come on, it's just basics. I don't know why he's stuck on that, but that's a dangerous message because that's going to create even more paradoxes in people's minds when disclosures happens for real within the next 10 years. Would you dare say that it's binary? to really tweak the left by, by saying the universe is binary no, for good and bad. No, no not at all. I'm the universe is, is full of consciousness. Yes. Uh, plasma, it's filled with, uh, you know, every gravity, energy, electricity. You know, it, it's, it runs the gamut. You know, it's, it's, nothing is really black and white. It's really gray. You take the yin and yang symbol and you spin it really fast, you get gray. Right. And that it's meant to be spun. It's like a torsion. Torsion is key in, in uh, all of this. Uh, the galaxies spin, your toilet spins, you know, <laughs> frisbee spins, a UFO spins, you know, everything right. spins. That's torsion. And so, you know, it, the ancient symbols, the spirals, and all these other ancient symbols, they lend uh, credence to all that. Um, you know, it's, We've been we've been dumbed down as a society for a thousand years or more. Really, the Dark Ages were really about the ignorance, enforced ignorance, and the rise of Christianity. You know, I, sorry, folks, that's that's just the way it is. Um, the Vikings had a better idea, but you know they were a little rough about it. <laughs> but in the Arab world during the Dark Ages, they had incredible astronomy. They had navigational devices. Sextants. They, yeah, they had, you know, sewers, running water, yep. uh, 
you know, medicine. They had they were an advanced right. technology. The Moors and the Arabs it, during the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, where Europe suffered in plague and, and, and ignorance. In the Arab world and in the East, the wisdom and, and, and technology and, and things flowered. But we're not taught that in America. I was never taught Arabian or Eastern history. We're only taught American history, and American history is thin as hell. Where's the secret societies, the founding fathers, the Freemasons, the Hellfire Club yep. that Benjamin Franklin was a member of? Gee whiz, I wonder what they were doing. They were goddess worshipers. You know, I mean, you know, Sophia, Gnosis, the idea that the cosmos is feminine in vibration. It has a creational feminine vibe. You know, this is all hidden from us, but it's coming out slowly now. Yeah, I think it's going to come out uh, more rapidly as we progress through the next 10 years. I think that this whole 2030 agenda is going to be about so much more than what people believe it to be about. We got to take a quick break right here. We're having a great conversation here with uh, John Warner. Um, We're going to be back after this message from sponsors and come right back with them. I want to ask you on the opposite side of the break, John, to get into that World War II history because your family, I think it was your great-grandfather, was with General Patton when he heard and saw some interesting ships. And so I want to talk about that coming out of the break in just a few moments. All right, everybody, we're, you guys are listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden and Chris Michaels and our guest, John Warner, here on the America Out Loud Network. We'll be right back. It was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Welcome back, Bold American. Second section of the show here. We are speaking with John Warner about the history books. We're talking about ancient civilizations. We're talking about ancient history, ancient technology, and the disclosure that is coming our way regarding UAPs, UFOs, alien technology. What exactly is all this? And uh, I looked into John Warner's background a little bit, and you mentioned it actually at the beginning of the show, John, that your great-grandfather knew General Patton. No, my, my grandfather, Paul Mellon, did. Your grandfather, not great-grandfather. Thank you, Paul Mellon. <laughs> my uh, great-grandfather was Andrew Mellon, the Secretary of the Treasury under Harding and Hoover. Holy crap. That's um, amazing, that's amazing yeah. knowledge, too. He was a big robber baron type, uh, and he was ambassador to England in 1931. Oh, wow. You know, Paul Mellon, my grandfather, uh, 
he knew Patton, General Marshall, and Wild Bill Donovan, and a few other bigwigs, because he fox hunted with them in Upperville, Virginia, before the war. And so Washington, the Virginia area was very chummy, and everyone knew each other, you know, in the high, high society. So um, I had a conversation with my grandfather when I was a college student. I was interested in, I was studying uh, World War II history, and I was doing a thesis on it. And uh, I asked him about his time in the OSS and what he could tell me. And after he had three martinis, um, you know, he said that he was with Patton. And I think he was with Alan Dulles and a few others, you know, generals and maybe Wild Bill Donovan, too. And they were in Czechoslovakia. Now, I assume they were in Pilsen. And in Pilsen, we know that General Hans Kammler SS, he was a contractor. He was in control of the Wunderwaffer Wonder Weapons programs for the Germans. And that was in Pilsen at the Skoda Works. So I assume my grandfather was talking about Pilsen and, and Patton. And in fact, I'm writing my fourth book about this right now. And they went into a hangar and they saw all the V-2 rockets and uh, the radio and television guided rockets and, and missiles and all the transistors. No, the Americans didn't invent transistors or the lasers. The Germans did. I.G. Farman came up with the chemical laser first for isotope purification. Now, that was for the, the Die Glocke, the bell, which is a torsion field plasma accelerator. And that is what the free energy uh, generator the Germans did uh, invent, although it was in the embryonic stage. But my grandfather said he saw a, 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 you know, a disc-shaped aircraft that was pretty sizable. And I said, was that the Flugelrad, which had BMW jet engines in a circle? And he said, no, no, this one was much bigger. <laughs> And, and that was the end of the conversation. But I read um, in 2002, I read Nick Cook's book, The Hunt for Zero Point. And then I read Igor Wotowski's book on the Wunderwaffer. And because of the Russian and Polish archives are much more forthcoming than the European or American ones, we now know that Hans Kammler was in charge of all that high technology. He was the most important man in Nazi Germany in April of 1944, even above Hitler and Himmler believe it or not. But history is conveniently forgotten about him. Oh, you can look it up. He's just a contractor that built all the tunnels, facilities at Bear Kristall, the Riza complex in Silesia. This is where all the high-tech stuff was being developed. And I think the Germans were working on anti-gravity disc aircraft, but didn't really get them to work um, correctly. They might have later on in Operation High Jump, and also in the 50s in the overflight of in 1952 of Washington, D.C. The word on the street is those with a jerk technology. And I'll motion your subscribers to Joseph P. Farrell. His books are very good. His interviews are very good on this subject. I've learned everything I know, uh, a lot of it, what I know from him and others. Uh, Peter Lavenda has written some books. There are others. But it all makes sense. Uh, they built the foundation for the breakaway German idea, and it's I mean, you could prove basically Jim Mars and everyone proved there really was a Fourth Reich in America, especially at NASA. Werner von Braun, we all know him. Well, hit number two at NASA was Kurt Debus, who my grandfather knew. Kurt Debus was a plasma high voltage physicist. Now, what the hell does that have to do with rockets? Nothing. Mm. So when they went to the moon, they had some black boxes aboard the LEM and the command module. Come on that helped them to put an electromagnetic uh, bubble around the spacecraft to protect it. 
It's the only way it could have made it to the moon, I think, in my opinion, and others. So, I mean, this history is just convoluted. It's very complex, but it all adds up if you do the big picture work. But I admit it took me 45 years to, to get it to work in conjunction with my own experiences, being close to my dad and, uh, you know, sure. Beating all these people, you know, and connecting the journals. You got a, you get a flavor for how things, my father showed me how the deep state worked. He didn't tell me a lot of things, but he, he said, listen and open your eyes. And, you know, sometimes we were in the room with very fascist people who were like, oh, we should let this country starve, or, you know, we should get rid of black people and Hispanic people. And why didn't we genocide all the Indians? I mean, this is the kind of people that have supreme power in the world. I hope that's changing now, but and that's, he was like, this is the way the world's run. You need to listen. Now he didn't agree mm -hmm. with all that. He was not a fascist, right? And he was not a member of a secret society or anything like that, but he showed me how it worked because he knew I was, I was very, curious and very clever and you know i'd always peek into his top secret briefings and i said what's going on in antarctica come on well wow, that's where i was getting ready to go with you know, there john so, so you know that's my story is is i just was you know and stupid me it took me until i was 31 before and i i saw the majestic 12 files someone sent them to me i didn't even have the internet yet i had to get it i showed it on my dad and we went back and forth for months and finally, he says, enough. You need to leave this alone. You know, I, these documents are mostly legit. Um, you know, the military and, and the military and the CIA and everybody has it all under control. Now, that was 1993. And I said, man, this is the truth of our world. I'm never going to let this go. And he warned me. He said, you know, these people play hardball. I mean, you could end up in, in, you know, in a pool of blood in the street with a bullet in your head. And he meant it. Um, yeah, but it did, I, I didn't just for listeners after 9-11 and I was like, I don't care. Yeah. Just for listeners, Majestic 12, uh, it's an Eisenhower document, uh, that talked about the, uh, extraterrestrial aircraft and a cover up of, uh, finding one of their recovery efforts afterwards, after the public examination of it. And so that record came out, I believe it was like around 1988, um, I think Stanton Friedman uh, was able to get that. It was leaked to somebody okay. in Hollywood on microfiche. Okay. And yeah, it was I, a, I don't remember exactly. 12, 12 scientists and military men, the best people of the day in 1947. Truman got them together. It was a good idea. They didn't, you know, they didn't know what the hell was going on. And they knew right. the Germans had been getting probably advisory help from ET. And, you know, there's stories that uh, FDR had meetings with the Pleiadians who are, you know, some of our cousins that look just like us, you know, and they're like, you've got to stop messing with the atomic bomb. And they were worried about the atomic bomb because uh, Oppenheimer has a famous quote. You'll see it in the new movie. And I recommend the new book uh, out about him. Oppenheimer was a mystic. So he knew that in the Vedic texts, they talk about nuclear war back in the Rama empire and, and way back in Indian history. When you let off an atomic device, it not only kills, destroys things at the battlefield level, but it cuts through the third, fourth, and even into the fifth dimension, killing people you cannot see. This is why he said, quote, I have become death, the destroyer of worlds, plural, worlds, plural. 
And people don't catch that usually, but that's what he meant. And boy, they came down on him for being a communist and a bohemian. You know, so what? You know, nobody gives a damn. And but he knew how dangerous this was. But if the Germans were we were lied to, the Germans were well ahead of the allies on the atomic side. They had multiple programs going on. Uh, they had too many programs, really, but they did in case one was compromised. Instead of our one Manhattan project, you know, the Germans had many of these projects and yep. there's decent evidence. I mean, the Russian front, I, I wrote a book on this. It's called Sanity Was a Luxury and it's coming out soon. And it's about the Gustav gun. That was the biggest railway gun in the world. Germans built it over a four year period, millions of Reichsmarks. Hitler's iron fist, he called it. It was an 800 millimeter railroad gun. It doesn't really make any sense. They were going to blow up the Maginot Line. Okay, fine. They just went around the Maginot Line. And so they put it on the Russian front under Field Marshal von Manstein. And it lobbed a shell on the Sebastopol Russian lines where there was an ammunition bunker 50 feet below grade. Now, that was said to be the biggest explosion of World War II. Yeah, well, J.P. Farrell and I wonder if that if the Germans didn't cobble together some very crude, low-yield atomic shells. The Gustav gun shells were seven and a half feet tall, weighed seven tons, uh, n probably feasible. And most people are like, oh, no, we would have known by now. No, that was an embarrassment to Stalin. 27, maybe even 30 million casualties. You can't kill that many with bullets and bombs and planes. Didn't Farrell suggest this is a kind of lost history that we're not told? Right. Didn't Farrell suggest too that the Nebelwerfers could have been fuel yeah. air bombs? Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. The Germans so had them, the Russians had them. They had a mixture of coal, and coal oil, coal oil, and, and coal dust. Right. And you could you can have a thermobaric air burst weapon. Very devastating. Um, right. Right. And so that's that's interesting too because that means all that technology has been transferred over to the U.S. And then all of a sudden you have, oh, we, we lost how we got to the moon. We don't yeah, have that anymore. Stop it. Absolutely stop it. So, so you brought up something on the dark journalist, which I thought was fantastic. And I, and I hopefully maybe I'll expand upon it here too. The idea of exotic tech and intergalactic travel. So you brought up Ice Cube Project. What was that about? Yeah, that was Eric Hecker. He's a friend of mine. Um, he was in uh, worked for the for the Raytheon Corporation, and he was in the U.S. Navy, and he worked on the Ice Cube project in Antarctica. It is a, a huge uh, array of cubes, and it's a neutrino tracking system. So basically, simplistically, uh, you could say it can track anything on Earth, under the water, under the, you know, I don't know how far down in the Earth it could probably track that. And it's a deep space communication system. Hmm. And so you can wire that through an Einstein Rosenbridge wormhole. And so you could reach theoretically a Navy ship in another galaxy. Easy peasy. I mean, once you get over the hump of this technology, uh, you know, that we have a vast secret space program, which I believe is true, you know, space travel and time travel and intergalactic travel and wormholes. It's not that big a deal. The sci-fi movies and Star Trek and everything, they're, they give out a lot of good information, I think. Always have. Going back to the 60s, Star Trek. You're not going to sell me on triples. 
no, no, no. <laughs> I, I have I have a guest that comes on to my show, Laurie Elizabeth, and she talks about us being multidimensional beings. That as human beings, we think about our three-dimensional world, but we really live almost in like this 5D ascension world. How would that play in to interdimensional type of travel as well? Is, is there something to be said that human beings, there, there's more to us than what we actually know about ourselves? Um, is something being hidden from us regarding our true potential? And could that be part of the great awakening? Oh, Yes. I mean, that's a vast subject. But basically, uh, the consensus is there's 12 dimensions of the universe, 12 being sacred, 3, 6, 9, and 12, the universe is made up of that. That's why all the ancient architecture and things, it's all based on 12s. Um, within those dimensions are infinite amount of layers in between. Um, human beings are in the third dimension. Uh, we're really... We're really more fifth-dimensional creatures, I think. Um, we, you know, we're, we're creatures of love and compassion. Uh, we've been taught to be warriors, I think, by the Anunnaki and others, um, and we're good at it. And we're good engineers, and we're we're very clever, and we have good imaginations and senses of humor, which is a rare commodity in the in the cosmos. I don't know why, but that's what people say. And so it stands to reason that, you know we're probably shifting through many layers of the third and fourth dimension right now. We just don't notice it. Changing frequency is no big deal. Uh, once you learn the tricks and you're a high, you know, once we're fifth density, you won't need much food and water. You can go back to the fourth and the third di di dimensions very easily. I, I don't think you can go higher without certain technology and permissions. Um, I'll leave that to others to answer, but uh, you can travel across dimensions with a kind of spiritual uh, psychic technology. And that's how, you know, ETs fly their spacecraft. It's all psychic. You're, you can even grow a spacecraft from your own DNA, apparently. And you can have a vast mothership that many people are in conjunction. They can grow it with their minds. You have a biosphere inside. And it's very comfortable. You can travel the cosmos in leisure in luxury, you know, and so that's sort of the way it's done. Um, we sort of live in this hard, dense world where everything's hard and, you know, we need to see proof before our eyes. But really, someone clever said many years ago, a really good, I like this aphorism or saying, it says, believing is seeing, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting because really we see inside with our pineal glands. That's what our sixth sense, we're all psychic you know, to it at one degree or another. And so, you know, and, and armies have always had leaders that were, had psychic components. Alexander the Great, I mean, he had a, traveled with a huge uh, entourage of mystics and, and you know, soothsayers and, and things like that. He, he wanted to learn more wisdom. That's why he wanted to go to India. And all these leaders, Julius Caesar and Patton and Napoleon, eh, they were all probably pretty psychic. I mean, Napoleon and Patton believed in reincarnation so did Henry Ford. They said so publicly. And they're not mm. exactly hippies. You know, yeah. those guys were military men. And Ford was an engineer. He said he worked for the Union Railroad in the Civil War. You know, it makes sense. That's where genius comes from, as are many reincarnational lives. That's why Mozart, he was another believer in reincarnation. That's how he was able to write a concerto at age five. 
because he had a million lifetimes as a musician. You know, he probably started out with a carved bone flute taught himself you know, a million years ago. And then he worked his way up to being Mozart you know, in, Austria, in Vienna. So it makes sense. Everyone else is like, oh, a child genius. It's amazing. Not really. Not when you figure out what the, you know, how the universe works. And that's how it works. It makes sense. It's, it's nuts and bolts science. If you think about it. It's just we're taught all this janky, you know, third dimensional, everything rock solid, you know, oh, psychic abilities is nonsense. That's crap. The military you, psychic programs always. Right. And do, do you think going back to communication between dimensions, right? You're talking about an inter, um, a technological aspect of that and how you do that through a, a, a physical form. Bohemian Grove just occurred not so long ago, right? Do you think performing those rituals are a way to thin the veil, assuming that's what they're doing and not just doing blackmail over there at, there at Bohemian Grove? So do, essentially, are these ancient Babylonian techniques and ritualistic events really thinning the veil between dimensions to get more information out from potential Anunnaki on a higher vibration? That's two questions. Let me answer the first. Uh, to con connect with higher dimensions, all you need to do is meditate. Right. Uh, some people are better at it. I, I meditate and sometimes mm -hmm. things are revealed to me by my higher self who calls me dummy. <laughs> and he says, hey, dummy, take a left. Hey, dummy, read this book. And so you can connect with higher dimensions, I think, you know, in, in a natural way. Right. The Native yeah. Americans and, and Native tribes around the world, the shamans, they've been doing that for since time immemorial. So that's not a big deal. That's what channelers and other people do. Uh, you have to have some discernment. You might, you know, pick up the phone and you're talking to some baddie, you know, Darth Vader in a higher dimension. Now you got to be careful of that. Um, the Bohemian Grove. Um, I know people that go to it. I don't have a very good view of it. Uh, it's been around for 120 years. Um, it's all men. It's patriarchal. Um, there are several, many books written about it. They're all very dark. But I suggest people who are interested in this to read that, including Walter Bosley's book, The Empire of the Wheel series, where he gets into Babylonian workings, the rituals. And this is Jack Parsons at JPL Labs and others. And what I think is happening over the history, it's nothing new. It goes back to ancient Sumeria. You know, Moloch was you had to give their, your child up as a sacrifice. These regressive ET races. There are a lot of people that talk about them. I'm not the only one. There's, there's David Wilcock and others. There's a lot of people who talk about them. Kerry Cassidy, you know, it's worth a listen because the all these secret societies, some are more right-hand path, which is, you know, good, left-hand path being janky and regressive. Um, and so what they're doing is these ancient Babylonian rituals, a lot of regressive ET races uh, they love rituals. We have rituals, our marriage, funerals, you know, other things. We have a lot of rituals too, but they love their rituals and they're very, very important to them. And so in order to uh, grant, have, you know, deal with the devil, the blues man in Mississippi, the fork in the road, same idea. You know, if you want to have a deal with the devil, so to speak, you must do these rituals very precisely. And Jack Parsons, all the books I've read about him, he struggled with that. 
because I think he was a, a decent guy. And it helps to have a fascist, uh, amoral, unethical personality to deal with an ET race of the same polarity. And so Jack Parsons had a problem with that. And Aleister Crowley did too, because they, they were sort of gray area characters. They weren't good or evil. You know, they were sort of in the middle and they had trouble with their rituals. And so at the Bohemian Grove, they have, they have something called the cremation of care. And that's exactly what it means. You don't care anymore after these rituals. You're ridding yourself of your ethics and your moral center in, in exchange for financial or governmental or military or technology secrets. These, these round, these concentric circles, I think, at the Bohemian Grove, it takes years from what I understand, it takes years to go from one circle into an inner, more inner circle to an inner circle to an inner circle. And I think it's a blackmail, big blackmail uh, party. Um, you can blackmail people in, in very different ways. But if you're a president or a senator or a CEO of a corporation or a bank, and these Bohemian Grove elites, they want to own you, well, They'll invite you in the inner circle and drug you, and you'll wake up in a bed in a compromising permission, you know, position with cameras and pictures taken of you and with children or others. It's, it's, you can never get out from under that. And isn't that what some of uh, what Jeffrey Epstein, what people claim that he was working as an agent for the government? Uh, a lot of people point to, I think Joe Rogan just recently talked about this, which was exactly where my mind was when I saw the painting. He had a painting with uh, Bill Clinton hanging up in his office in a woman's dress. And people had stated that that painting, the reason for it was because he knew that he had Bill Clinton by the literal balls, that he had had him in a compromising position and he owned Bill Clinton in the intelligence way of whatever happened on that island or whatever happened allegedly there. And I, I find that interesting because what you're talking about with Bohemian Grove, it's a lot of people from the Harvard community, the, the Ivy Leaguers. Uh, it used to be considered, you know, Alex Jones, I think in the 1998 was talking about that. And people are like, oh, that's crazy. Now it's like, oh, no, they're having the meeting and here's when it's happening. And here's who's on the invite list. Now things get published much more widely. But, you know, these societies are now out in the open because information has flowed much freer. But yet people are still getting caught up in all of it. I have a question for you in relation to all that. Uh, can I yeah, go ahead? Go ahead. Yeah, please do. I need to clarify something. Okay. When we're all talking about the government, uh, most of the government has no idea of the topics we're talking about. Right. The government is full of factions. The military is full of factions. The corporations have nothing but factions. Secret societies don't get along. Uh, there's no like the government's hiding this from us. Well, which part of the government? You know, it's the problem is it's very, very complicated. The, you know, you have to someday we'll figure it all out, which factions are wear a black hat, which are gray hat, and which are white hat. You know, at uh, simplistic terms, everything is gray. There's no real black or white. Everyone likes simple black and white answers. There's none of that in, in this whole disclosure topic. Um, you can't just say, well, the government's hiding. What part of the government? Half the government doesn't even know what the hell it's doing. You know, senators and congressmen, most of them are well-meaning idiots. 
that that's I've a really good point. a lot point. of them over the years. I, I like them, but it's just they're yeah. idiots. No, that's so, a great point. Greer brought that up as well. Yeah, it's like you can't just it's say important to know. Yeah, you're right. Thank you. That, I'm but, glad uh, you said that. These, you know, Jeffrey Epstein. I, I was shocked that the whole Epstein affair was brought publicly. Uh, usually, these things. There was something in Nebraska in the '90s. There was a big scandal about pedophilia. I guarantee you, Epstein's Island was not full of teenage girls which is just a naughty thing. Now it was full of children. Uh, it's the same idea as the Bohemian Grove. They just do it in the islands. And look at the, the lists of people on that plane. I mean, it's sad. I mean, and you know, no one knows what to believe. You want to learn about that kind of stuff, go to Liz Crokin. She's done a lot of work. She's on Twitter. She's everywhere. Uh, she knows that story, uh, part of this inside and out. So I want to give her a shout out. Um, She's very knowledgeable about this, but you know these these kinds of things they go back centuries, thousands of years. I mean, the Romans had secret societies. What do you think they were doing? They were not just slaughtering bulls in honor of Saturn; they were you know slaughtering children. And you know it gets into adrenochrome and luche, spiritual energy, vril, chi, prana. You know it it's very complicated and very dark and very sinister. But you know, this is this is our reality. This is the universe. The ETs, you know, they've all been through it. They know about it. They say Earth is the worst situation there is. I believe that. Guadalcanal meets Vietnam meets, you know, <laughs> the worst neighborhoods in the world. You know, it's it's really horrible. How do you well, how does this tie into the intergalactic or interplanetary slave trade? Yeah, directly. How though? Well, human they, trafficking, there's, there's a new film out. I, Sound of Freedom Sound or something freedom. like that. Yep, yeah. Sound of Freedom. He's a, a DEA agent or FBI. They, it has to do with child trafficking. So I'll tell you what I think. Going back to the Anunnaki, the Anunnaki and other ET races, they added into the pot and, and out came the human race over the centuries and eons. So Probably we were slaves for the Anunnaki. It's well-written. They had a caste system for us. That's where racism comes from. The darker-skinned people worked the fields. The lighter-skinned people worked for the kitchens and the temples for the Anunnaki kings. Gee whiz, does that sound familiar? So they probably were marketing their creation. This wonderful you know, Adamu, is, I think uh, was the name of us, they gave us uh, from the get-go. Oh, how many Adamu would you like? You know, give us trade goods. And so we've been part of the trade system, sadly, for probably a half a million years since our since our inception. And so it's it's always been going on. Uh, one thing I say that's not popular, but people, have, you know, you know, in when you when you study military history, there's always the dead, the wounded, and the missing. Now, I'll go back to the recent Syria war a few years back. They said there were 200,000 missing, the missing in Vietnam, the MIAs. Always in wars, there's all these hundreds of thousands of people that go missing. Where do they go? Now, I talked to Vietnam vets, you know, they're missing soldiers, you know, no gear, no backpacks, no bodies. You know, it went after firefights in the jungle with the you know, Vietnamese regulars, you know, and, you know, and the Vietnamese regulars tell stories that they have missing troops, you know, no, no trace. So I think, you know, the ETs, there's stories about gray aliens doing experiments in Vietnam. They probably do it in all the war zones. And it's 
the agreements we have with ET that allow them to do this, because really we didn't have much choice. You know, the story about Ike is true in the 1950s, the agreements, the Grenada, Grenada treatise, three groups of baddies. And they were like, hey, we'll help you with spirituality. Ha ha ha. Oh no, if you give us, you know, a million people a year, we'll leave you alone and give you technology. Oh, that sounds great. Thank you for that. We'll do that one. You know, and poor Ike, you know, he had strokes and they were, he was being manipulated by Alan Dulles and Nelson Rockefeller and probably my granddad, Paul Mellon. These are the kind of oligarchs and spooks that were manipulating presidents, you know, and all their friends. Oh, this is a great deal for us, Mr. President, you know, you know, let's do it. And so I don't think we've had much of a choice as a human race, but now I think over 80 years since World War II, I think we upped our game technology-wise. We might be at parity with certain ET races out there. John, I want want dimensional ones, which are all peaceful. Apparently after the fifth dimension, everything is peaceful. But the fourth dimension and the third dimension, it's the nasty, nasty neighborhood. John, I want to ask you a question about a theory that my wife has about our national parks. Now, we, we, most of our national parks, they started to be found, I believe, in 1872. Um, the National Park Service wasn't established until 1916. And so I don't know how this adds up on the timeline as far as the grays and human abduction. But my wife has a theory. And I'm being dead serious for listeners here. And I believe this theory wholeheartedly because we did a lot of research, her and I, into this. That the national parks, there's an agreement between aliens and the United States in order to maintain that ground for them. And if you enter into a national park, you enter in at your own risk, which is why our national parks here in the United States have the largest amount of missing persons in the world every year. What you're saying about trafficking humans, uh, abducting them and taking them out, this would align completely with my wife's theory. I'm curious, was she on the something when she said this? And has this ever come up before in any of the people that you spoke with? Or have you ever thought of this before? I'm kind of curious how these could tie together. Oh, yes, that's she's right on target. Target. Yeah, she's right on target. Um, That theory has been around for a while. Um, and, you know, people have to get over that, you know, in the 19th century, there could have been, you know, Behavian Grove type secret societies that were dealing with ET even back then. It probably looked like us, you know, they can change appearance pretty easily, holographically, psychically. And so against the Gilded Age and, and things like that, I mean, you know, it stands to reason that makes some sense. Uh, I've heard there's a lot of underground ET bases on national parks and Native American reservations, which is why a lot of military bases camp the Native American reservations. And there's black helicopters going around. You can ask the Apaches, they'll tell you. Um, you know, it's this has been going on a long time. It's not new. It's not fun to talk about. Um, the Native Americans, their legends, they have no problem with the concept of other star nations and ET and, you know, cosmic you know topics they have no problem with it it's only the educated you know west or you know whatever the non-spiritual people you know that's where we have a problem because we've been taught lies um ask them they, they will tell you that it's not a big deal there's portals everywhere hence skinwalker ranch 
you know, that's overblown, but, you know, there are natural portals everywhere. It's part of the way the universe works. And, you know, the Native Americans will tell you about the ant people and the snake people and the sky gods and Thunderbird. And, you know, down the line, the Hopi have the Kachina dolls, which are representative of sky gods. You know, all our gods and goddesses throughout history, they're all E.T., benevolent, indifferent, or regressive. You know, it, it stands to reason. It's, it's easy to figure it out once you do the work. You know, it's it's sad. We're in this position where people are a small amount of people are waking up, but the vast amount of people around the earth really aren't. Right. And um, there's going to be a clash of cultures coming forward as well. Well, I, I want to take a quick break here and we're going to wrap up with one final segment because we have not talked about Antarctica. And I, I really want to, want to get Antarctica before we, we call it a day today. All right, everybody, let's let's get a quick word from our sponsors and we'll be right back with John Warner. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Welcome back, Bold Americans. We're wrapping up here with John Warner. You got Chris Michaels and myself here on America Emboldened on the America Out Loud Network. We've had a great conversation. We have run the gambit quite literally on a ton of topics. But the one that Chris Michaels and I talk about often when we're just kind of riffing and raffing back and forth is Antarctica. And so I was kind of zeroing in earlier, John, when you were talking about what was going on in uh, Germany. And then most people know that the Germans have a large faction that came down to Argentina. And in Argentina, uh, kind of spans right down to Antarctica. And there was a bunch of research. And it's another like NASA space being able to get there. Argentina is very large in their program. A lot of people don't talk about that, but it comes from the German scientist. And so I'm curious, what is in Antarctica? The fact that civilians are not allowed to go beyond a certain area. Uh, it's one of the most secretive places, but yet we have countries that are all working together. All of a sudden we find world peace and a common theme in order to ex explore this little section of Antarctica. What's really going on down there? I mean, we got people that say that's the ice wall, that the earth's actually flat. Uh, I don't believe that personally, uh, but Everybody is kind of shrouded in mystery. Is that the ancient society that we're not allowed to discover? What's going on? Well, it's a it's a huge topic. Um, on the ancient maps, there's Antarctica ice free. Come on, uh, you can see on one ancient map that's very old that South America was once connected. There's an island chain to South, you know, to Antarctica. Now let's let's just talk about the Germans. The first Antarctic German expedition was 1903. So they've been going there far, be, 
before World War One. And, you know, the English were interested in it. This is a world, this gets into the idea that there's been a, a worldwide technology hunt going back to the Crusaders, the Knights Templar, and the Teutonic Knights and the Cathars, who went to the Holy Land, you know, to fight Islam. No, they were all competing, you know, for Temple Mount and, you know, King Solomon's Temple. They were looking for Anunnaki treasure and other bits of information, both spiritual uh, scrolls, gems, which are energetic, you know, gold crowns with gems. That's for psionic powers, psychic powers. The halos in the, in, in the middle, you know, the Middle Ages paintings, the Renaissance paintings, those are denoting uh, elite people with, with psychic powers. Yeah, it has nothing to do with being religiously holy. That's all bullshit. So anyway, this technology hunt for not only Anunnaki, but everything has been going on since forever. Uh, but it, I think probably back to the 1200s, the time of the Crusades, someone got wind and said, wait a minute, uh, you know, the Vatican, you know, they're, they want all the technology, they want all the scrolls, they had probably have all the scrolls from the library of Apollo and Alexandria, which were both torched, uh, the ancient uh you know, historians all man, that's strange. Both libraries were burned down. <laughs> and they probably got all that stuff. It went to Constantinople for a while, but then it, you know, and then it went to the Vatican, I think. So this technology hunt for everything, the knowledge of the universe, Gnosis, Sophia, goddess worship, uh, you name it, uh, you know, this Gnostic wisdom and Anunnaki, uh, very ancient one, a thousand years, I'd say. And so the Germans went down there starting in 1903. The British went down there. The Norwegians, I think the Norwegians just, <laughs> just wanted to make it to the South Pole. They weren't interested in all this occult stuff. Now, occult just means hidden knowledge. Uh, the black cats, the, the, the regressive stuff, that's satanic magic. Black magic, uh, you know, it's, it's, you have to study all that stuff. It, it's very complex. But the Germans were interested, just like the British were, in this technology hunt. And the secret societies all knew, kind of knew what to do with this. That's why the 19th century was a burst of technology. You had John Worrell Keeley with his vibratory engine, Jules Verne talking about submarines powered by, you know, the power of the universe. Hmm. Is that cold fusion or zero point? You know, come on. It's H.G. Wells, even Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, that's transhumanism and cyborg development, mm -hmm. DNA augmentation, uh, you know, all this stuff started to blossom after the age of reason in the 18th century. So this technology hunt, uh, the Germans got wind of it. I think they, there's good evidence, not good, but decent, that they made several trips to Antarctica from 1903 up until 1939. And even during the war, they were sending ships and U-boats down there um, that history is hard to find. It's hard to corroborate, but you know they did it um, because of Operation High Jump in 1947. Uh, there's a Navy film on it. I mean, come on. You can test your equipment and your ships and your troops and planes up in near the Bering Strait in Alaska. Why go all the way to Antarctica? And they were fighting the Germans. Come on. So Bird went down there several times. We didn't know we were going to go to war with the Germans. So in the 30s, I think there was an expedition in 36. It's not well documented, but I, I think I found I have a few pages that were written that Bird was an advisor on that one, probably going back to the 20s. 
Uh, they probably found, you know, ancient ruins under the ice. Uh, they had ancient maps. They had all kinds of things they could draw upon because of the on an air base society and within the SS, which is the ancestral and archaeological division. And I write about that in my books. Uh, those guys went to Tibet. They traveled the world. They went to Mesoamerica, everywhere on this technology and wisdom and information hunt. So that's what drove it. Um, Reichsmarschall Goering and, and Rudolf Hess sponsored the 39 expedition. That's janky in itself. Uh, Karl Dernitz said it was a you know, beautiful Shangri-La. They built a four-minute. Um, you know, it's obvious they found all kinds of treasure in Antarctica. Now, when I was a kid, my dad was involved in Operation Deep Freeze, which is still ongoing in Antarctica. It's a U.S. Navy program. And you know, they did ice worm in Greenland. You can see a film on that. Look that one up. They dug tunnels and they put a nuclear reactor and it all fell to shit. It was a dumb idea. But, you know, the geothermal caverns, which are documented in Antarctica, you know, the Germans probably found places where they could drill out vast caverns. You can grow things under the ice uh, with certain amounts of, of different kinds of light and things like that. And so they probably found ruins. And there's an electromagnetic uh, hole around the poles where it's, you know, communications, the ice cube project, you know, spacecraft and other air things can travel more safely. Uh, you don't have to deal with the Van Allen belt and some other certain things. And, you know, there's legends about, you know, uh, tunnels to Agartha and ancient inner earth and things like that. There's, it runs the gamut. But one thing we do know for sure, it's been highly militarized. Don't ask me, ask Eric Hecker, his channel, uh, deciphering my experience. Go to his channel and listen to him. He'll tell you the things, that, you know, the strange thing goings on there and the strange things in the sky and all that stuff. You know, it's obvious. And China is, I think it's on its fifth base. And now Turkey wants one. Come on, folks. There's big goings on down in Antarctica. It's militarized. It's off limits. Yeah, you could take a cruise ship to one of the islands and see a penguin, you know, big deal. Um, you know, and there's a no-fly zone for satellites and aircraft. That's very odd. Mm -hmm. There's so many odd things, Lake Vostok, the electromagnetic signatures. You know, some people say there's a giant hole that goes down. You know, it, you know it's, it's all these things, but they definitely found something of great importance. And so the Germans did build a base that's documented. How big it was, how extensive it was, I don't know. But if they did, uh, and I think they did, uh, they probably co-opted whatever ruins were down there under the ice and just you know, made it habitable. But there, you, know, you don't do that in Antarctica for just giggles. There has to be a precise set of reasons to do all that because living on the surface is just, forget it. Blowing winds, it's 100 degrees below zero, it's, it's a nightmare. Every, all the action is underneath the ice. It's like the X-Files movie in 1999 or whatever. You know, they have an alien base under there. You know, it could be all of that and the, you know, everything. Because we've expended, you know, and nations around the world have expended so much money and time and effort with their militaries to build infrastructure under the ice. Now, my father told me we had sub bases and missile silos in the 70s under Operation Deep Freeze. The Soviets were doing that, of course. And, you know, but that didn't make any sense either. He, he 
pointed up in the night sky. He said, space operations is one of the things going on down there. And at the time, I just thought satellites and missiles. And that was until I read Nick Hook's book in 2002. And I was like, uh-oh, because he mentions Antarctica and the German obsession with Antarctica. So the Germans probably found a lot of ancient knowledge that said Antarctica is this amazing place, you know, you know just <laughs> drill down a mile and you'll find everything you need, running water, geothermal caverns, and you can grow things. Um, and that gets complicated, but obviously we found a, a things of great interest to have yeah, that, all that military presence. The, that first mission from the Germans, 1901 to 1903, was the Gauss um, I forget uh, the Gauss expedition, but the reason it got named that is because there was a volcano that was discovered, the Gaussberg volcano in Antarctica, which leads the geothermal energy, which we know from looking at Iceland. And I did a show about this a few weeks ago. Um, we are on the cusp of having unlimited energy, unlimited electricity, simply from geothermal venting. And so knowing that there is this uh, volcano activity down in Antarctica as well that they could tap into by going a mile, two miles down, they have the power plant that they need. They don't need to put any other type of industry there to be able to do all of their projects. And a lot of people don't think of Antarctica as this frozen spot, but you got to think about what's down below. Right. You got to think about the geothermal physics of the Earth's crust, of what the magma chambers look like, because that allows possibilities that are endless once you get down there. It doesn't matter what the temperature on the surface is. It matters what the temperature down below is and how you can sustain life and what may be down there. And so I've often thought that there's an ancient civilization uh, that is either still active in some way, shape or form, or we found the ruins of that and it unlocks a ton of history that they don't want you and I to have access to. And so it's become kind of a secured lockdown um, facility. So you and I don't know the secrets of the earth and secrets of our society. Yeah. I mean, like I said, they must've found incredible things for, to warrant all that interest and treasure and effort and time to do all those bases and underground drilling and things like that. So I think sky's the limit in Antarctica. I really do. Mm -hmm. uh, it may be part of disclosure going forward, limited amounts of that, um, which will distract people from the dirty laundry. Um, it won't work for long. Uh, people will, you know, they're not that dumb. They will figure out that something, the government, you know, certain people in the government are lying to them as they always have been. Now, Antarctica is uh, incredible. You could run everything off geothermal. There's no doubt. However, there's not geothermal everywhere, as far as I know. So an underground military beast would need cold fusion or a zero-point energy plasma accelerator for power to augment the geothermal. That's my thinking. Um, you have to remember that a lot of this, like the all-domain anomaly resolution office in the Pentagon means all-domain. And that means under the earth and under the water. So, you know, under the water activity, that goes back to the ice cube projects. I mean, USOs, underwater submerged objects, you know, you basically put a plasma generator inside a submarine. You can create an electromagnetic space-time bubble around it and, you know, change the propulsion system a little bit. And you could, you could go 100, 200 knots underwater. When, when my dad's submarine, the USS John Warner, was commissioned years ago, I was there in Newport News, and I, I went up to the captain, and we put our hands on the hull. I said, hey, Captain, 
I'll bet you that's not traditional nuclear power in there. And I'll bet you this sub can do a hundred knots sustained submerged. And he smiled at me and he nodded and we <laughs> shook hands. He said, it was great to meet you, Mr. Warner. You're a very interesting person. <laughs> <laughs> that was confirmation. The, the yep. Navy has been using it because zero point and cold fusion Everyone thinks it's super dangerous. No, 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 you have powerful magnetic fields containing this stuff. Um, once you get the tricks down, it, it, they, they need it. It's a safety thing. Uh, a, a Russian nuclear torpedo could take out a carrier and all that atomic waste pollute the ocean. You know, I'm sure we've had sub to sub battles going on in the Cold War that we're not told about. And it's, it's dangerous for the environment. Everyone hates it. So, those two, cold fusion and zero point, are very safe, very low radi- radioactivity. And so it's a safety thing. Um, you just don't want all that stuff blowing up. And I tend to believe, one guy said to me, he said, I'll bet you anything over a General Electric, they've got a zero point energy generator in the, in the back room humming away and they're testing it. But they're mm-hmm. still charging the public the same amount, even though they're bringing energy out of the fabric of you know the torsion field there's some and it's it's not that hard to do once you know the tricks well i've had i've had arguments with aerospace people and then i've met spooks who are like oh these people are idiots they just don't they're not read in it's very once you know the tricks it's not that hard to do so they have a they have supposedly they have solid cubes that are zero point energy and they're solid state no moving parts because i have a friend who, who worked uh, in NASA and they were building satellites and everything. And, and they said, well, where's the, where's the black box? Another corporation comes in, let's say Raytheon or somebody, <laughs> Lockheed. <laughs> and they're like, here's, here's the black box. You got a hundred years of power. Have a nice day. And they're like, well, what, wait, what, what's in it? And they're like classified. Yep. Sorry. Send it up. You know, and that's how it works. It's solid state. So, I mean, you know, Richard Doty is a questionable character. He's a disinformation agent from the Air Force. But he tells a story about how, you know, they ransacked a crash UFO and they found this clear cube and they put it on the shelf. They didn't know what the hell it did. What the hell's this? And then one guy was like, I'm going to put a load on it. He put a load on it and blew out the circuitry in the whole building. And so it's it's a solid state zero point energy generator. That's technology. You know, that could be, you know, weaponized. So, Mm -hmm. There is the danger of all this new technology that's that's coming out. It can be weaponized. I mean, Iran wants to weaponize everything. So does China. But, you know, they don't want to blow up the world, but they just want to, you know, their fair share of the power structure. And so the United States military industrial complex and its corporate entities, they've got a point. I mean, a lot of these technologies are very dangerous. They could blow the earth in half. They could crack it in half. No kidding. Like not even an exaggeration. So it's got to be done. The earth is dying, you know, the pollution and everything. Uh, it has to be done. So the, the first thing, one of the first things is disclosure is they're going to, they're going to roll out free energy, but they're going to do it quietly. And it'll be in the back room of GE. And then they'll say, well, we came up with the new Xbox in the back room and your bill will go down a little bit, you know, and they're still making money. The right. global fiat currency economy has got to keep going, or you know, people will die on mass, and, and there'll be upheaval. So you got to, you do have to do some of this stuff slowly. But 
the problem is, and this is what I told dark journalists and, and other people at the Greer Conference, 40 years ago, this kind of slow drip operation by retired people like my cousin and other people within the Pentagon and the Congress, that would have worked. They've waited far too long. They had to, some of these older black hats, and that generation had to die off or get so old. You know, it's like Bobby Ray Inman. He was MJ1 in the 90s, Majestic 12. He was the number one guy. That's what I've read. I believe it. Uh, he's 90, what, six or seven now? I mean, you know, he did an interview with somebody. Didn't tell him anything. He's part of the old guard that need to go away and let more moderate people handle the show, which I think is happening. But again, I, I think their operation isn't going to work for very long. I think within 10 years, this is all going to crack apart and it's so, going to be a mess no matter how you slice it. So, John, what does disclosure look like? What's the timeline and how do you feel the info is going to roll out? You know, it's a little dipping of toes in the water, tidbits, a lot of disinformation, you know, uh, games. They're playing head games with everyone now. They're bouncing from Congress to the UAP task force to Arrow in the Pentagon and back again. Bounce, bounce, bounce. You know, there's a bouncing the cue ball around. They're not sinking any balls. They're just bouncing around the cue ball, playing games. That's going to that's gonna bite them in the ass because – at a certain tipping point, probably within 10 or 15 years, I think that someone did a poll and they said 60% of America doesn't trust the government anyway. You know, there are more and more people will start to look to the disclosure movement information. Greer, Dolan, everybody, Catherine Austin Fitz for economics, where all the missing trillions went, mm -hmm. you know, dark journalists, others, everyone, and going, huh. I wonder what's, you know, maybe they know more truth. You know, it's going to happen. And then they're going to get their asses kicked because they've been lying to us for so long and they were playing head games. These head games are going to create paradoxes in people's minds. Um, people's heads are going to pop like popcorn. I think a lot of Americans can handle it. I can't speak for the rest of the world. And obviously, the, you know, there's a lot of people in the world and the third world nations. That's going to be really tough. It's not really important to them at this moment. But for most Americans, I think, you know, they'll a good 25 percent of America will be not, a, not too much of a problem. They'll be very angry. And rightfully so. But, you know. E.T. has been manipulating the human race for eons. You know, all the black hats and leaders and despots and Hitlers and Stalins and, you know, you know, every, you know, the Bush family, whatever, you know, you could all the Jim Mars information, you know, how many people you really want to put on trial and put in prison? I mean, you're, you're talking about millions. At a certain point, we've got to just, you know, give people amnesty. Yes, put the top people in prison. Don't hang them kill them. You become a Nazi yourself. You know, if we start killing people, that just makes, you know, the, the American people and, and the justice system, you know, that Nazifies it. You know, you don't want that. You know, E.T. is watching, you know, uh, apparently the universe is watching. If it is, you know, they, they want to see us grow up and do the right thing. And the right thing is, yes, jail the people for sure. The really bad people, I don't care. Put them in a spaceship and send them out in the galaxy, let them go. Just get them away from here. You know, don't hang them. 
you know, or kill them or whatever, you know, capital punishment. That's not the way forward. Um, the way forward is a lot of forgiveness. A lot of it is we're just going to have to cooperate with people. So many hundreds of thousands of people in the deep state were blackmailed. I mean, who who's at fault? We all are because it's everyone's responsibility to educate themselves. We vote for all these people in elections. You know, we voted for the black budget. We, we voted for you know corporations to get a, a bailout or whatever. You know, the American people, the citizens, we all have a stake in this. We're all going to have blood on our hands. Yeah, and you, you also pointed out earlier that we're voting for these people that also don't even have the knowledge themselves. No, right? I mean, they, they don't know what they're doing. I, I have a, a pop a pop trivia, not pop trivia. I have a pop culture question for you. Uh, it's something that people talk about a lot. I teach pretty extensively in my classroom about Nikola Tesla. And I always tell my students that I believe that, you know, if there was ever a man that was enlightened to the point where maybe he was extraterrestrial in, or he just connected with regressive past lives enough that he had the knowledge of the world. He was one of them. And the FBI has a pretty extensive file on him. But now there's somebody else who keeps telling society that he's an alien and everybody laughs about it. But I'm going to bring up his name because he's a hot button issue. He owns Twitter. Elon Musk. Is this guy trolling everybody or is there something more behind him or is he just playing the, the part to, to play in? Because SpaceX him constantly telling everybody, well, I keep telling you I'm an alien. Um, I'm just kind of curious what, what your gut's telling you about him. Is he a black hat, gray hat, white hat? What's going on with him? I don't get a good feeling about all these, you know, miracle billionaires, you know, the Facebook yeah. kid, Jeff Bezos, Musk, right. others. Um, Musk is Afrikaner German. Uh, just throwing that out there. <laughs> um you know, he has an interesting family history. I urge people to look into that. Um, a lot of people say he can't write a lick of code. Neither, neither can the Facebook kid or you know, Bill Gates. You know, these are these are created billionaires, most likely. Uh, it doesn't mean they're stupid, but uh, they are probably groomed and handled by the intelligence services. Uh, they don't take chances on these billionaires. I'll give you an example. I mean, my grandfather, Paul Mellon, and his father, they were both billionaires. My uncle, Tim Mellon, is a billionaire. He runs Pan Am Systems Railroad. And he told me he runs cargo for the intel community in the military. So I'll let your imaginations run on that. I was going to point out earlier, I mean, your family is the same family from Carnegie Mellon. You're the Mellon Carnegie Mellon, correct? Yeah. The, yeah. There's There were four Mellon brothers back at the turn of the last century. And Mellon Bank was formed, and the families come down from there. Chris is a, uh, Chris Mellon is from another, uh, his great-grandfather, someone else. Um, but um, my side of the family, I've been told there's been a lot of military intelligence people like my grandfather and Chris Mellon. Um, they just don't pick a Mellon out of a hat. They chose Chris Mellon on purpose. And that doesn't mean he's necessarily nefarious, but because my family has a history of loyalty to the national security state, including my father. And so, you know, this is how it works, you know. Um, so when you're talking about, um, uh, you were talking about Tesla, but you're now you're talking about Musk. So right. Elon Musk, uh, the guy's zany as hell. I mean, we're all nutty, you know, we're all a little nutty, but man, he puts a capital N on it. He reminds everyone of Harold Hughes. 
Howard Hughes has some serious hangups. I think Musk does too. Um, you know, MK Ultra, it could run the anything. I think he's mind control. I think he's he's puppeteered from on high. Uh, he does these chemical rockets, which you you know the space mining bill passed years ago. You can't mine. Uh, they're already mining the solar system. They've been doing it for fifty years. You can't do that with chemical rockets. You have to have zero point or fusion or or you know these types of new types of uh, uh, it's a copper electromagnetic drive these videos of people seeing these exotic missiles and beautiful contrails and things. That's an electromagnetic drive. That's a copper drive. That's been around for, you know, since the sixties. And apparently that came from off world technology. Not that our engineers aren't clever. We are very clever. Um, but, you know, we've taken junk piles and we've made it into good stuff. That, that takes some brain power. So we're not, we're not stupid. We're very creative. But Elon Musk is dumb rockets. Um, I worked in television in the 90s in post-production. I'm not the only one, and I'm not the first one to say this, but a lot of his rocket footage of things landing and whatever looks suspiciously like very, very, very high-end computer graphics, CG animation. Now, I'll just throw that out there. I don't know for sure, but it does look like it to me. Um, and of course, all his rockets are blowing up and it's stupid. He's been tasked to take a dropper and let out some of this military industrial, you know, high end exotic technology by the dropper. You know, electric cars, come on. Ferdinand Porsche, the Porsche company, had an electric hybrid car in 1903 in Austria. Come on, people, electric cars, they're, they're 120 year old technology. Lead acid batteries, even the, the lithium ones are junk. They catch fire. You know, it's... What a mess. I mean, it's it's just yep. and they treat the American public like children. So, John, what do you think? Because now we're at the end. Right. What do you think is the best possible outcome? How can they perform disclosure, at least from a technological standpoint or even disclosure of an actual being? being introduced. What do you think would be the best possible outcome for all of that? And how would they go about getting that? You want to end on a positive note. Well, you know, it's what I told uh, John L. Peterson. I said, the people are so distracted with a million things. Not many people care about the UFO subject. It, it seems weird for the disclosure movement because we're all into this stuff. But a lot of people like my friends, they don't care. They're like, I don't care. It's not my interest. And so in order to get people really interested, they're going to have to roll out uh, an ET, a crash UFO, um, maybe several ETs with the president, the joint chiefs, and a bunch of senators all at once to even capture anyone's I'm not kidding. People are that distracted. Not. just don't care. Don't they don't give a shit. So, you know, I think I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to do this dog and pony show with the dropper bit by bit. And at a certain tipping point, it's all going to fall to pieces. So we're, we're going to get disclosure, but it's not going to be what anyone wants it to be. Not the military, not the Congress, not the corporations, not anybody. It's going to be this mess. You know, it, it has to become that. In other words, um, you know, it's always going to be darkest before the dawn. But, I, you know, I care about my grandkids and other people's grandkids and kids. It, everything we do today is for them. 
because we're going to go through a time of upheaval. There's no way around it. But I'm hoping in 40 years, you know, they'll inherit a better world. It'll be still a mess. It's going to take a long time to clean all this up you know, and, and educate people. That's the worst thing is the enforced ignorance around the world. That's our biggest hurdle. You know, everyone's like, oh, it's the government hiding. No, that's not the biggest hurdle. They've, they've done a horrible job keeping all of this stuff secret for 80 years. Horrible job. But not that many people are interested in. But they're going to be because it's the biggest issue in human history. And once there's a tipping point where CNN and the New York Times and Washington Post and BBC News, you know, they really get something solid, then you'll get more and more people interested. But you know, especially if it affects their pocketbooks and wallets. Um, that will really get people's attention. And it might have to come to that. It might have to come to where the financial system goes to hell. And then they do the disclosure and, and you've got people's attention because they're going to be watching the news and the markets and going, what happened to my bank account? Uh, that might be a very crude and, and cruel way to do it, but it might be the only way because understandably people have been uh, made ignorant and taught bullshit for a thousand years. And that's not easy to overcome overnight. Um, the people who are in the awakening process, all of us, not a problem. But I mean, I've gone to my Harvard friends and you know other friends that I, I thought were really smart and they don't, they don't buy any of this. Yeah. I mean, they just don't. I mean, it's cognitive dissonance at a, at a high level. And I mean, that's going to take decades and decades and decades to overcome. We saw the test run in some ways with COVID, right? The, the acceptance of information, the acceptance of narrative versus the information that was readily available to those that were looking for it. And so in a lot of ways, what you're saying is kind of scary because I do think the government already has the information or whoever's pulling the strings has the information. I know I don't want to use the word government in that way. Um but this is really a, a time where I think it's important to not be fearful, but to approach things with love, uh, approach things with the spirit of trying to look out for one another, being the light in the world, not the darkness in the world. Uh, and it's a time to embrace the information and wake people up uh, as gently as possible. So that way they can accept what they're hearing. I mean, right now, what we talked about tonight on this show uh, was phenomenal for the perspective of the America Out Loud Network. There's going to be 100,000 people that get to hear this, and maybe some of them have never heard any of the conversation that we just had. Maybe this is their first introduction to it. And yeah. I think that that's a beautiful thing. And so uh, I appreciate you coming on to the show, uh, being a part of uh, the network here tonight uh, in order to uh, help enlighten people. And uh, I hope maybe we can keep a, a line of communication open from here on John and get you back as you hear more things and also promote your book too, which is uh, sanity was a luxury. Is that what you said earlier? Yeah, it's not out yet. I'm having problems with Amazon. I think, I don't think they want to print my books anymore. So I might go to Lulu pub self publishing. Okay. Um, well, I think I, Amazon made it clear. They sent me a hundred copies of my first book back to me at no charge. Oh, wow. uh, and so I think they're, the message is we don't want your business anymore. Well, so when, a when lot of get... alternative authors are like that. You know, and I don't take profits from my work. I'm, 
No, but when you get your book up and running, you let us know and I'll make sure that we get that promoted on the network as well. Um, so we can help get that book. And that book is uh, hopefully coming out soon for everybody. So you can check that out. Uh, also, I'd like my followers to also follow John. You can find him on Twitter at John W. Warner the fourth, but spelled in Roman numerals, I the. Uh, so go give him a follow as well. Uh, has some great information there. And uh, John, thank you so much for just joining us and being gracious of your time tonight. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Michael's got any final thoughts? Oh, no, it's been a wonderful night. And I appreciate John's time and efforts to join us tonight and really start to expose people to a lot more of what's going on out there that probably a lot of people don't necessarily know about. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to wrap. Go ahead, John. Your point, as as far as disclosure, I don't want to paint too bleak of a picture because I think we are getting positive ET help. We always have been. And also, you know, an act of love is the disclosure of truth. And love is said to be in the mystics always say it's the most powerful vibration in the universe and cosmos. So I think there's a lot of hope for the human race going forward. Um, I get wrapped up just like everybody in what currently is going on, how frustrating it is. Um, but there, I think there's, there's always hope. And I think, I think, you know, we'll, we'll have some severe challenges, but eh, we're pretty creative. We'll, we'll make it work. We always do. John, I have one final question from somebody. Who is your favorite Star Trek character? Guesses were Q. Uh, mm, well, you know, he, he's close. Uh, <laughs> Q is great. He's a little, he's a little um, enigmatic. A little high school. He needs to learn. <laughs> he's, not, he's not very, but he, in the, on the Picard series, I think he finally grew up. So, yeah, I think, but, uh, you know, I like Jean-Luc Picard. He was a very tough, but well-balanced character. And he, uh, I think he's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, Solid answer. I like it. <laughs> that is. And he's got the British accent. I'm a Stuart, by the way. I'm Scottish heritage. So he and I are distant relatives, I guess. You know, so, yeah, Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very much. All right, everybody, we got to wrap up here now. It's been a great show. Uh, We hope that you're having a great weekend as you're listening to this show today or whenever you're listening to it. I'll be back on Monday with Laurie Elizabeth talking about us being multidimensional species, Uh, talking about the 5D Ascension. It's a great show. You're not going to want to miss it. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden, Chris Michaels, and our special guest, John Warner IV, here on the America Out Loud Network. Be bold, America.